Welcome to NucleCast, the official podcast of the Anwa Deterrence Center. Each week, we bring you leading experts for a lively discussion on topics related to strategic nuclear deterrence. Our host is Dr. Adam Lowther, Director of Strategic Programs at the National Strategic Research Institute. The views of the hosts and the guests are their own. Welcome back to another episode of NucleCast. Of course, as always, I am your host, Adam Wilder, and today we have with us a very special guest. For those of you that don't know, he's kind of a rock star in the nuclear enterprise these days. He's one of the young guns. You perhaps saw him at the Nuclear Deterrent Summit, or he's been on NPR. He's, he's been making the rounds. He's getting pretty uh, famous these days. That is, of course, Eric Wallerman. He is the president of Honeywell Federal Manufacturing, which is the contractor that operates the Kansas City National Security Complex. And he is an industrial engineer by training, but of course, he is a good extrovert of an engineer. Not only does he not look at his shoes, but he looks at your shoes, but he also looks you in the eye because. He's an extrovert, which is why he runs Honeywell. That he's an accomplished uh, leader in the manufacturing world. He's a, you're a black belt, like a lean six sigma black belt, right? So he's, he's a, you know, he's a, a, a master of running manufacturing with that. Well, Eric, welcome into the show. Hey, thanks, Adam. Happy to be part of it here. Uh, thanks for talking me up. I didn't know I was as famous as I, as you portray me, but, uh, happy to support and, uh, share, you know, what we do, what it's all about and, you know, wherever this, this takes us over the next hour. So you run the Kansas city national security complex. And for, for some folks, you know, KC is, you know, for the diehards in the enterprise, Kansas city is, you know, it's a well-known entity. It's been around since World War II. It has a long tradition of manufacturing the non-nuclear components for nuclear weapons. But for many folks, they might not be all that familiar with the differences between the manufacturing side, the design side. Can you give us a brief description of, you know, what is Kansas city and who, you know, what's the difference between Kansas city and Savannah river and Y 12 versus Livermore and Los Alamos. And we're not talking super bowl championships. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. I had to put it in there. Uh, Yeah. But I've been here in Kansas city uh, three years. So uh, I can't claim that the chiefs are my first love. Uh, I, 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 I do claim to be a Packer fan and support our chiefs here, but, uh, with, uh, Kansas city national security campus, uh, it's KCNSC. So we're the Honeywell, uh, Honeywell manages this contract through an LLC called Honeywell federal manufacturing and technologies. Um, so I'm the president of our LLC that's been operating this contract 
since 1949 in one flavor of another of what Honeywell is. Uh, Honeywell here in Kansas City was Bendix Corporation, uh, 1949, uh, coming out of the Atomic Energy Commission, you know, in the need uh, in this kind of arms race of producing weapons and really through the partnership of coming out of Los Alamos, standing up Sandia um, as kind of the non-nuclear components design agency. It, it was, hey, we need to protect the science and the role of a national lab, but we need someone to produce. Uh, in Kansas City, uh, prior to 1949 and during World War II, uh, there was a large facility based here that produced aircraft engines uh, for the war. So you had a skill set of a production mindset um, that then could match with the space. Uh, I'm sure some influence from Harry Truman uh, being, uh, you know, here from Missouri um, did probably play into that. But ultimately, the mission that we've served is providing the non-nuclear components um, within a weapon system that could be up to 85 percent of the components that go into it. So when you're thinking non-nuclear Think nothing radioactive, um, nothing explosive, um, but all of that needs to be housed and contained and have other uh, electrical mechanical components um, that that go into the weapon. Um, and within the NNSA, you have the nuclear explosive package library or libra- laboratories um, that would be Los Alamos and its peer uh, Lawrence Livermore. Um, for each weapon system, one laboratory would be assigned and the other one is the peer. For every weapon system, Sandia is the design agency for the non-nuclear components. For all weapon systems, Kansas City is the production agency. Um, then you'd have Y-12, uh, which plays the role primary secondary um, in some um, components that the NNSA currently does reuse on that is working to bring forward, you know, will we stand up that capability again for future systems? Uh, Savannah River uh, plays a role uh, in producing tritium gas. Um, And so we uh, provide components to Savannah River. We call them reservoirs um, for gas transfer systems um, that Savannah River uses. But the majority of our components I'll go to Pantex. Um, and so as, as Pantex would say, all roads lead to Pantex. Uh, we have a lot of trucks um, of components that go there. We've shipped roughly quarter of a million parts uh, to Pantex last year. Um, and we'll ship more than that this year, um, supporting our nuclear weapons programs. So uh, lots of activities um, that we do um, to support the mission. And with a longstanding relationship here in Kansas City, uh, since me coming into role, uh, we had roughly 4,800 employees. Um, we j- just broke 6,700, um, and we'll probably break 7,000 employees this year. Um, so we've been growing, you know, even in a pandemic, uh, and delivering um, uh, on the needs uh, for these weapon systems. So as you grow. And we, you and I were at the Nuclear Deterrence Summit a month or so ago, and one of the big discussion points was manpower and how do you, you know, recruiting 
and then in particular retaining talent. So you have this mission as well, just like any of the other labs. As you think about your function to recruit, and I mean, you've grown by more than 2,000 employees. That's that's quite a bit of growth. And you're in a very specialized industry that can't take just anybody. How have you been able to recruit and retain the talent that you need to man and build the components, the quarter of a million components that you've shipped to Pantex last year? What are you doing to meet those requirements? I mean, it, it's not one lever. I mean, it's multi faceted in your approach. Um, but I mean, we, we, we kind of doubled down in our hiring, um, in 2014, we had 2,400 people. Um, so I would say in one way or another, we, we've proved that we can hire, um, and, and that's partnerships with universities, uh, investing deep in the, you know, STEM, you know, all the way down from a kindergarten to high school level, investing in partnering with community colleges here locally. So you got to look at, you know, those talent pool sources locally. Then there's also uh, a role that we need to play is our mission. You know, everyone has a clearance. Most things are classified. If you get too far into what we do, well, how do you talk about a mission that you can't talk about? And how do you get people to say, hey, I want to work there? Um, So we have to be out and get involved um, in, in wherever, even in a, you know, this podcast here is talking about our mission, what we do. Um, we're, we're all people here at the end of the day, you know, we have families, we have jobs, um, but it, it's a great career. It's a great opportunity. What we'll never be, and we got to be transparent. We're never going to be the highest paying jobs. Um, but what keep people here is the mission and that connectivity to the mission, um, we hire a lot of veterans, uh, roughly 13% of our workforce is veterans. I think, you know, finding ways to connect people coming out of the service, whether that's from the local military bases here or finding connections into those talent pools from people leaving the service. There's a lot of applicability to continue on your service to this country, the nation, um, even outside uh, being in one of the branches of the military. Um and I think for us then, okay, I'm bringing in these people, I'm creating leaders from within. So I have to have internal programs to develop leaders, you know, help people communicate, um, help drive employee engagement, you know, find things that help connect people to the mission to see, hey, th- this is a place I want to work. Um, these are people that I, you know, some people spend more time with their people at work than they do with their families. Um, and, and it's got to be an environment that you can see yourself working together. Um, you're working towards common goals. You can see what you need to know to be successful, and you can see opportunities for career growth. Um, you you got to paint that picture. Everyone has different ways of connectivity, co- connecting. Um, you know, even for us, we're recruiting U.S. citizens. Um, so you got the continental United States. We're out at minority serving institutions. Uh, we're bringing, you know, different universities we've partnered with, different career fairs where we see, you know, engineering skill sets, IT skill sets. Um, but when you come here, a lot of people didn't grow up in Kansas City. A lot of people don't know anybody. Um, so that employee engagement's key. Um, we we also, you know, very much value diversity inclusion. 
you know, looking at the diversity groups that we have, we currently have 11 employee networks. Uh, you know, we have, you know, our black employees network to our minority serving institution employee network to like a unique one is a experienced professionals network and a young professionals network uh, to our women's network. Um, you know, we're, we're looking at, you know, how do we find different, you know, groups um, to help find connectivity, but then they're all serving a common mission in what we do. Um, and then as part of our contract um, that Honeywell FM&T has, uh, we also do, we give back to the community. Um, so I have my leadership team uh, from our directors and above, we're on 48 community boards between New Mexico and New Albuquerque um, and in Kansas City. So we get involved and with that, uh, we can get involved in STEM, which is our biggest focus, um, you know, our role in some of the civic activities going on, uh, an environmental focus, but then we can also get employees to volunteer and give back in the community, which again helps with that connectivity of, you know, yes, you're serving your nation here, but you can also serve your community and you can see a lot more uh, of what you're, what you're giving back uh, but why what you do, whether it's how you volunteer or what you do in the mission. And I think all, all of that like creates kind of the secret sauce of, you know, why would I want to work there? Um, you know, and why would I want to stay? Um, and, and I would say we wouldn't hold ourselves to, you know, we're stopping at, at what else can we do? Um, and there's a lot of activities, you know, some I help lead through my strategy deployment, and even a lot of efforts that I help work with the NNSA on, on looking out for our workforce, um, or even partnering with the other MNO leaders on, um, and how we how how we do that for the collective workforce, because um, I'm one piece uh, of the pie, and really all all of the workforce. When you look at the national security or nuclear security complex or enterprise. And then you look at the DOD side of supporting the triad and all the delivery systems and operations there. I mean, there's a, a lot of manpower and a lot of workforce need to really make sure this mission holds true and that, you know, there really is a nuclear deterrent that's there and, you know, looking to adapt through time. So as you think about your mission and you think about what you've accomplished and then your challenges, what are those big challenges that you're facing and what are you doing to overcome them? I, I think, you know, right now, I think we kind of touched on an, um, retention, um, right? So so we, 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 we can hit our hiring targets. I mean, obviously during a pandemic, um, it was a struggle with our attrition, um, almost doubling to, you know, about... 12%. We've kind of been down to 10. We're now kind of around nine. Um, you know, we've operated in the five to six. Um, you know, I still think our retention can go down and we have efforts uh, to our attrition to go down. Um, but I, I think we got to keep looking at that um, because our, our weapons programs have, you know, a life of about 15 years and, People need cycles of learning to be able to apply their lessons learned. Um, and so people need to do that through their experiences. Um, we can set up business processes to help bring experiences. Um, but how do we help do that to, to get 
that retention of right now, 63% of my workforce has been here at Honeywell FM&T less than five years. Um, Some would go, ah, that's a huge number. Um, Yes, um, but I'm not bimodal and necessarily in my experience in distribution. Um, I don't have you know, 63% less than five and 40%, you know, 30 years plus, um, it, it gets, it does tail. Um, but I, I would like to see what, what I can do to drive, um, that retention under 63, maybe can get to the 30 to 40%. Um, to me, that allows me to have confidence on some of our mission success in the future. Um, you know, when we look at our current, you know, weapon systems, if we look at challenges there, um, if you take the, whether it was the pandemic or whatever you want to say, you know, kind of crazed, created a lot of focus on looking at the supply chain. What is the supply chain? Um, for me and what we do, I mean, there there's thousands or hundreds of components, depending on which way you look at it, that go into a weapon. You know, there's a lot of focus on a pit, um, but at the end of the day, you need a screw and that pit to make a weapon. You need all of it. Um, and so my goal is to make sure we're looking out far enough that for the 85% of the components we provide, you know, we're, we're planning, we're looking out further, we're understanding what the supply chain environment is. Um, cause I purchase roughly 60% of the components I need, you know, to build into assemblies or inspect further um, to then or test to then send to create 85% of the components. I have a massive supply chain that I need to be looking at. And how do then I know that when I stack up all of my lead times to get to a cold start cycle time, um, I need to know that I have that capability to be able to still hit deadlines where am I modeling in our enterprise resource planning or ERP system? those lead times. And, and right now we've put a lot of effort in making sure we understand our supply base, you know, doubling down and making sure we understand what we can know um, and what flexibility we have. Because if, if I get a design, you know, a new weapon system that we're going through the development cycle, you know, you have phase gates that you must hit the design matures products mature through that you know, a lot of times things keep moving to the right. Um, I need to put the accountability on, hey, we need a good design by this date because that also links into how I need to then tie sending a requirement to a supplier or to, you know, to my team for an assembly and a testing to then that gets down to a supplied part that then has raw material, um, et cetera. And that lead time stacks on where if I don't have a good accountability on design, you know, milestones, then all of my planning for how great I may think my system planning is, um, I can't achieve the mission. Um, and I think the, the pandemic and with multiple weapon systems um, being in a modernization state and new weapon systems being explored, that rigor is needed um, to be successful you know, in those five, 10, 15 years out, um, I would say that that's a lot of where the rigor um, 
we're spending a lot of time. Um, I think the other is with Kansas City. Um, if you haven't been here, um, you would probably say this is the newest, nicest facility within the NNSA minus a couple um, office buildings. But if you look at the portfolio of real estate here, it is by far the newest, but probably the least amount of buildings. But a, a tough thing to, to grasp is we occupied this space primarily starting in 2014 that we're in today. We lease now some additional space to help augment the growth. But the way uh, infrastructure, the, the cycle to get infrastructure in place is is about a 10-year, if not longer, cycle. So you need to be looking out at least 10 years to ensure you have the right amount of space. And when the requirements were defined for this building, that was 2006 requirements documentation. And that was when there was a no China in the picture, no real adversarial actions. It was a peaceful time. And the, the, the decision was, is we needed, you know, a Kansas City footprint and capability to support a weapon in production, um, which is in, in a weapon in, in development. And that, you know, be you know, your W76, B6112 um, to help, you know, maintain a capability. Um, and now when you're up in six, seven weapon programs going on at one time, um, you're not necessarily right-sized. And, and so we really worked a lot on creating efficiencies within our processes, but also in our space and helping find creative ways to secure additional space. Pandemic was a blessing, you could say, because it taught us how to be hybrid workers, use laptops, bring forward in some technology really a lot faster and, and in a very appropriate time. Um, to, to when we need to be more um, technology savvy and, and leverage digital transformation tools. So so I'd say those would be some good challenges you probably poke at if you want more. But uh, uh, I mean, it's some pretty meaty, meaty stuff. Sure. Well, we're at that point in the show where we have to take a quick break. We're talking to Eric Wallman and we'll be right back. This episode of NucleCast is brought to you by the Anwa Deterrent Center, whose mission is to educate Americans about the nuclear enterprise and strategic deterrence. back and we're talking to Eric Wallerman, the president of Honeywell Federal Manufacturing, who runs the Kansas City National Security Campus. And we've been talking about challenges. Now, you mentioned earlier that 
a lot of folks who are not from the Kansas City area when they come here. And I remember whenever I got here in uh, 2019, I was a Chiefs fan for weeks before they won the Super Bowl. And so that kind of helped, you know, me. And I'm sure for a lot of your new employees, that's helping them to see the Chiefs win Super Bowls pretty regularly. That kind of helps, you know, make uh, life in Kansas City enjoyable. Uh, but yeah, definitely. Uh, NFL draft being here, uh, big, a lot of buzz. Not people, people may not know. Uh, Kansas City was the underdog in securing a World Cup host city. Um, that's a big deal for the city that they've really been trying to transform. Uh, so I, I played a role being involved with the chamber and a few other organizations that, you know, it's pretty impressive what a, a, a city that sits primarily in Missouri, but partners with, with well with Kansas. And then you have different uh, red and blue uh, political views, but ultimately they, they collectively work together very well. Um, it's pretty impressive what the city can do, has do, and the foundation it's laid. If you haven't been here, the new airport's pretty impressive. Um, and so feel free to, to check it out. I'm sure that uh, the city would love uh, some good tourist revenue. Yeah. And the barbecue joints are quite good as well. So we got to. Yeah, I don't think you can get a a common answer on the favorite barbecue place. I I would just say try them all and and make your own assessment. Now, as as we sort of you spurred me to to think about some questions. I you know I went to graduate school at the University of Alabama, who also likes winning, and uh, you know we had a Mercedes plant and a Hyundai plant that at the time were the, you know, they, I, I toured them and I was like, wow, this is a manufacturing Marvel. It was really interesting to do the tours and just in time manufacturing has long been part of this process. And so I wonder for somebody that's sort of a parts heavy, did, uh, did the pandemic change the way you thought about the supply chain and then, you know, you're, you've got a very sensitive supply chain because of what you do. So how did all of that sort of shape the way you manage the supply chain? And have you learned any sort of critical lessons that that are worth mentioning? Okay, uh, I'll try and me you can see if it. So I think the the just in time manufacturing so I mean I'm in my lean expert you're, you're hitting <laughs> me right in my swim lane here um you know you, you typically go back to the Henry Ford model you can get any car color you want as long as it's black um in it in it and it's a model T right um weapons programs don't exactly work like that um and, and I'm pretty sure we there was more model T cars produced in production than there was in development uh, when we produce twice as much development hardware as we do, you know, that's needed for the actual production. Um, and, and so it, it is a lot different in the, the way, you know, we, we man- leverage the science and the data and how the, the design progresses and the validation that we must have, you know, with, with, testing and verification and the hardware kind of dependency that we we have to validate our designs 
Um, it is a little unique, <laughs> and we and I would say we haven't quite breaking that. Um, it, it's a tough challenge that the labs face and really culturally we face is, you know, most things that are made in the world today, you get to do a test on um, to test the full system capability and functionality. Um, nuclear weapons is one we've stopped testing back in the 90s. Um, and in a stockpiled stewardship program, has been really built around that of how do you validate that's safe, secure, reliable, um, and ready at a moment's notice to work anytime, anywhere. Um, like that, that takes a lot of science and look at how you validate design. And it also drives hardware needs, development needs, you know, and then you look at the environments and capabilities, um, that you may need a weapon to have, um, on top of the safety and security. So it only works uh, when you'd want it to work um, in the environment that you'd want it to work. Um, you know, that, 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 that's a little different supply chain. Uh, you'd probably go, I hope there's a lot of rigor there. Um, you know, we, we, we probably want to go validate it as best we can. So, so it, it is a challenge though, on how do you embrace technology um, and, and shift towards your dependency away to, to, to hardware to validate your next design decision. Um, and it, and it does consume the speed at which you can move when the development of a weapon system typically lasts 10 years and the production takes five. Um, and that's your 15 year life cycle. How do you go faster? Um, and our ability to collect data, I'll say through the development process, but also the technology that is available today to inspect something, to get data off what you learn. Um, you know, where in the past you may have got one data point, you could get multiple mega terabytes of data on and continue to collect. That can be very valuable uh, to our labs to inform our processes, whether for manufacturing, but also in our design. It makes it a challenge to look at um, you know, how do you, how do you do it differently when you have this growth for data and knowledge and, and confidence? So where do you stop? And so I would say from the, from the pandemic view or an even short term, you know, we, we trying to look at, we have good, some pockets where we could say we've been able to apply looking at things new, but from a, a weapon system, um, you know, it, it integrates so far when you look at the delivery platform to, you know, how that would flow. Um, I think we see some hope, but I, I would say we haven't fully embraced that from, you know, whether you look at the Sentinel program out there, it, is it going to be done differently? Does Has that flowed all the way down into, you know, what you do with the silo to the missile to the warhead um, and anything in between, I'd say it's a huge opportunity to still put more rigor on because um, it is a challenge. And how do you apply that into your supply chain and what you do? Um, for us, you know, within the supply chain, um, you know, trying to get more information to understand the capacity um, of suppliers, not necessarily something we did before, um, to go see, like, what, how big of a deal is it that, that we 
um, work in this? Are we 5%, 50%, 100% of their business? Could they grow? Could they scale? So if we're doing business with them on a development, do we put them out of business? You know, do we consume all their capacity and we can't do production? Um, so really looking more at like when we select a supplier, it's not just for that purchase order. It's for that capability that we intend to bring forward through um, that weapon system or potentially a different one. Um, and, and we're looking at more partnership based um, so we can make good decisions about our suppliers. And, and it's allowed us to build better relationships to look at how we do things differently, um, where we can make adjustments to look at different things from a risk uh, standpoint um, and watch and know that we're, we're confident in, in what's out there. Another thing that we did more from a strategic sourcing, but not necessarily pandemic driven, is the way funding um, comes in, in, in the space that we work is you kind of have current your money and you can't commit dollars outside of your current fiscal year. Well, on the commercial side, you know, you can make long term contracts, you can make agreements that last multiple years um, and you put different incentives, other things. We, we really haven't operated that way. What a supplier would know, they'd see a purchase order and that's it. Um, we've really worked hard to find a, a contracting vehicle to go look at how we could provide better visibility to a supplier to the long term, but not be competing, com, committing dollars outside. Um, so we've been working on getting, you know, on key suppliers, getting our spend, you know, we're, we're big dollars of spend is um, getting them on what we would call a long-term contract that could work in this space, which provides stability and takes down risk at how you would look out forward. It creates more of a relationship. Um, and then we can really look how we would grow with that supplier going forward. I think that that to me is pretty game-changing in how we've operated. Um, and then internally, you know, really looking at with the pandemic, it did force a lot of our support to, to have to work off-site, um, looking at how we can use tools that maybe be done on paper, how do we make it electronic, um, how do we use different visuals, how do we use different reporting uh, to maybe inform at, at everyone versus just certain people. Um, and I would say we're not perfect at it, but we really made some, some really good strides in uh, – you know, trying to find, you could say, whether it's lean tools or Black Belt Six Sigma tools and, and having to put the twist on how do you do that in a pandemic and think about where we're going. Um, I would say we, we really tried to make sure there was a lot of rigor there outside of, you know, just trying to keep our employees safe. And, and really, we you know, we operate through the entire pandemic. How do we do that um, and not miss a beat on uh, the, you know, the requirements for, you know, the Navy or the Air Force. So um ho hope that kind of gets you sure. some idea of where you're going. Um, but happy if you wanted to follow up on it. Well, as we, as the show comes to an end, as it always does too quickly, let me, you know, I don't know if you knew about, I, I have a special power. I have a, a lamp with a genie in it. And if I give that lamp to you with the opportunity to make one wish, as you think about, you know, Kansas City and, and what you want to accomplish and your challenges, what would that wish be? 
I suppose it's supposed to just roll right off my tongue. <laughs> um, well, if you think about it, that's okay. It, that's that's perfectly fine. I, I mean, I think what we we've struggled with is having enough space to accomplish, um, you know, the the mission that we have here um, is really where we've put a lot of strategic focus. Um, but but really, I would go back. I, I think we can find ways to do that. Um, you know, I I'd love to say all the people that we have today are here in five years. And I think what we could do with that and having that stability um, would be game changing. Um, I mean, just think if you could have the same team and really just drive the efficiencies and become rock stars at what you do. We have a great foundation, um, but I need every person that we have uh, here and anyone else we hire uh, to be successful. So I'd, I'd really go back and say, Hey, you guys are on the team. We're committed. Uh, we're going to go do whatever our nation needs. Um, you know, and I, I want to do it with you. We're all going to work through it. Um, to me, if you could, you know, secure that in everyone's mind and, and we're truly committed to this national security mission and putting some things aside and just saying, yeah, we, we're going to do this together. I'd I'd love to be part of that. I'd love to say that's real. Um, and if you're the genie man, I, I'll take it. Uh, and if I, I thought genies gave three wishes, but I, I'm good with one. That's a good one. All right. Well, Eric Wallerman, thanks for coming on Nuclecast. Yeah. Thanks. Appreciate it. And thanks to you, the listeners, and we will see you on the next episode. So, afterthoughts. You know, I'm, I've always been a sort of a strategy policy uh, focused person. And as part of Nuclecast, we've talked to a lot of folks on the design and manufacturing side, on the, you know, the DOE side. And so getting a broader understanding of the NNSA and, you know, GOCO lab concerns has been really enjoyable as part of Nuclecast. And so having Eric on today to discuss what a manufacturing facility, you know, Kansas City does and what their big concerns are, because they have different concerns than Los Alamos or Livermore and his, you know, a lot of focus on supply chain and how they focus on it and how they focus on you know, that, that, uh, testing and all of the m many elements and aspects of ensuring that the supply chain, that the things that they're purchasing meet standards. That was really interesting because it's something I'm not all that familiar with. And it was really interesting to see how focused they are and how much attention they pay to those topics. And so I thought that was that was kind of my big takeaway is that that's a big and important issue for those on the manufacturing side of the nuclear enterprise. This has been a production of the Anwa Deterrence Center. Our executive producer is Kimberly Charrington, and this episode has been engineered and mixed by David Prunthal. Follow the show on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at Nuclecast. 
Listen, follow, and review the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. 